Hello and welcome to Fill in the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name is Alejandra Angula Alonso and on this episode we'll be talking about the 2017 Catalonia's referendum on independence from Spain and its impact five years later. Catalan News editor Gifre Jordan has been reporting on the story for years. Gifre, nice to see you again. Ah, thank you Alejandra, pleasure to be here. Hi, glad to have you here. And also with me here in the studio, we have two political science experts, Tony Rodon, an assistant professor at Universitat Pompeu Fabra here in Barcelona, and a fellow at the London School of Economics, and Dani Setra, currently a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Barcelona, and a former research fellow at the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. Welcome both to Fill in the Sink. Hello everyone, and thanks for having me. Hello, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for joining. Okay, right, since we are approaching the fifth anniversary of the 2017 referendum and the current political climate is now very different with far less tension and with tax on the way between Catalonia and Spain, we are going to analyze this topic from different angles. But first, uh, Gifre, uh, what happened in Catalonia on October 1st, 2017? What memories do you have? Yeah, on October the 1st, what we witnessed was a very unique vote on Catalonia's independence for the first time in everyone's memory. Hundreds of thousands of people going to ballot boxes, going to polling stations to vote, and some of them meeting the Spanish police there who uh, just organized some crackdown in order to avoid uh, this vote because the vote had been banned by the Spanish constitutional court some weeks before. Right. Tony, and I, I was just wondering if we could rewind just a little bit back in time. How, how did we get here, basically? Well, that's actually a very good question because it's uh, one could even go centuries ago, if I, if I may. I'm not going to do that for the sake of simplicity and the sake of time. They first organized a consultation, not a proper referendum, uh, which also did not work fully, but also worked a little bit. So there were many different interpretations. In November 2014. In November 2014, exactly. Uh, and then they wanted to be a little bit more uh, clear on what this consultation should, should, should give or should say. Uh, for the relationship between Catalonia and Spain, and that's when they put onto the table the uh, a binding referendum, as they call it, and that's what led us to the 1st of October five years ago. Uh, Danny, would you like to spend on this too? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Tony. I think there's a plurality of interpretations about what the 1st of October meant, but I think what it's less contentious is that it was the single most important moment in the so-called Catalan process. So the quest for independence that goes roughly between 2012 and 2017, although there are prior attempts and prior uh, mobilizations. Uh, and to me, what makes the referendum significant were the episodes of violence by the Spanish police that Giffrey mentioned, because the violence turned what was going to be another failed attempt by the Catalan independence movement to obtain a clear mandate for independence into a symbol of collective resistance. Yeah, and we'll touch on that later, but to know more about what happened that day, let's hear this report from our correspondent, Killian Shields. We'll be back with more soon. 
for Manny, Sunday, October 1st, 2017, began the night before. Amid a climate of uncertainty and excitement, hundreds of people organised social and cultural activities in schools and community centres the night before the referendum to stay there overnight to make sure that polling stations remained open. At 5am on the day of the vote, around 60 vans from the Spanish Guardia Civil Police Force left the port of Barcelona, where they had been staying for days, waiting to put a stop to proceedings. Meanwhile, queues were starting to form in front of polling stations all around Catalonia. Ballot boxes, hidden up until then by groups of volunteers, started to arrive. At 7am, the Catalan government made an unexpected announcement to try to circumvent possible referendum suppression. Citizens would be able to cast their ballots at any polling station, as the census was deemed universal. At 8am, one hour before the polling stations were to open, the Spanish Guardia Civil tweeted a message with Article 1.2 of the Spanish Constitution, which many read as a warning to Catalans that wanted to vote. The national sovereignty resides in the Spanish people. Before 9am, police began their efforts to crack down on the referendum. The CEIP Ramon Llull in Barcelona was the stage for some of the tensest scenes, with dozens of officers in riot gear trying to stop the vote. At other locations, people stood in line while watching the first videos of police violence emerge on social media. Polling stations where high-ranking politicians were expected to vote were especially targeted. Shortly after 9am, law enforcement officers shut down the polling station where the then-Parliament Speaker, Carme Forcadei, was expected to cast her ballot. She ultimately did it in another location. Guardia Civil officers also raided the polling station of Sant Julià de Ramis in Girona, where President Carlos Puigdemont intended to vote. Hundreds of cameras, many from international TV channels, broadcast the police operation live, images that would cause shock across the globe. Puigdemont ended up voting in a small town nearby. At 12.30, FC Barcelona, one of the most internationally well-known Catalan institutions, condemned the events that they said were aimed at preventing citizens from expressing their democratic rights. To show their rejection of the violence, they played their La Liga game that afternoon in an empty Camp Nou stadium, with the images beamed to millions across the world. Most of the police actions occurred in the morning. By the afternoon, they had stopped. All in all, there were police operations seen in 625 different locations. In 77 of those, there was violence. Videos of that day went viral around the globe. One of the most dramatic ones was filmed at the IES Pau Claris School in Barcelona. In videos, officers are seen pushing voters down a flight of stairs. One woman is grabbed by the face and hair, and others are kicked, dragged and beaten. All in all, nearly 2.3 million ballots were counted, a turnout of around 40%. Results started to come in around midnight, with over 2 million of those votes in favour of independence. Catalan health authorities later reported that 1,066 people had been treated for injuries sustained from Spanish police actions to stop the vote. Thank you, Kilian. So, could you both outline for us what impact did the police violence have on participation numbers in the October 1st uh, referendum? 
So in municipalities or polling stations that received the, the, the police, uh, turnout was lower. But uh, the interesting thing is that in places next or close by to the police violence, uh, people uh, participated a little bit more. And the interesting thing is that it's not only about people traveling to other places to vote, but also mobilizing people that didn't want to vote in the first place. Right. Danny? I also think that as a result of the violence, the Catalan government and the Catalan movement gained significant political capital and control of the narrative, at least in, in the short term, because that also activated pre-existing collective memories of resistance against state oppression, and it involved people who, as Tony was mentioning, do not necessarily defend independence. So in the short term, the use of violence damaged Spain's international reputation, and uh, the Catalan government gained significant political capital and control of the narrative. Yeah, on that note, how were Spain's actions seen from a domestic perspective and an international perspective also? So I think I would make a distinction between the short term and the long term. In the short term, in Catalonia, it delegitimized the Spanish state for a significant period of time. But in the rest of Spain, what happened is that it hardened positions of Spanish parties on the territorial agenda, especially on the right. In the international arena, in the short term, I think there was a degree of damage in Spain's international reputation. And then Spain, in the midterm, managed to control, to do some damage control. For example, in 2018, when the socialists came to power in Madrid, they set up the Secretary of State of Global Spain. And, and the whole purpose of Global Spain was to improve the international image of Spain. Yeah, it's it's a little bit a battle of uh, how who controls the narrative from from an international perspective, as Danny was saying. Yeah, no, no, I I completely agree with that. Uh, It's not only a battle of narrative, actually. It's also a a battle of power and who holds the the power eventually. Uh, In very few times in the past, uh, Spanish has experienced such such an important turmoil uh, and something that has shaken the, the very basics of the Spanish state. And that had, as Danny was mentioning, plenty of implications for many things. For example, one of the big implications that we observe is that as reported by many uh, indicators um, uh, uh, compiled by international organizations, the quality of democracy in Spain has gone down. Okay, very interesting. A lot of food for thought there. And how much of a game changer was the referendum for the independence campaign? So on one level, in the short term, it was a political success for the movement. And the Catalan government, as I said earlier, gained significant political capital and control of the narrative as a result. That's on one level. But on another level, in the midterm, that political capital that was gained got lost. And uh, perhaps so much emphasis was placed on the logistics of the referendum, of making the referendum possible, despite the judiciary and political activities going on, that less thinking was placed on what to do after the referendum. Uh, The the referendum was premised on the assumption that raising the stakes and and holding a unilateral referendum would force the Spanish government to to sit and talk and to have have a negotiated referendum. That didn't happen. The Spanish government didn't change its position. And so uh, that political capital got lost facing internal pressures, facing strong external pressures, independence parties, and why adopted a maximalist strategy declaring uh, uh, declare, declaring independence unilaterally on the 27th of October 2017, despite not having an internal majority, nor having uh, secured the recognition of the international community. 
Right. After that, and to add a little bit on what Danny was saying, uh, things have changed uh, completely. Uh, the political uh, uh, system and dynamics have changed, the party system has changed, and it will continue to change because I think the 1st of October referendum, it's sort of a turning point in Catalan politics, and we're still observing the reminiscence of, of what happened. Yeah, and I, I actually wanted to ask you, how key is the 2017 referendum to understand the lack of joint strategy inside the pro-independence parties in Catalonia today? It's absolutely crucial. Uh, uh, it represented uh, uh, a close uh, or, 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 or a crisis uh, within the pro-independence camp about what to do next. There is a lack of a common strategy between uh, the different actors. There is also a lack of a strategy uh, among the unionist camp because they also do not know uh, what to do um, beyond the, the narrative of you need to respect the law. But apart from that, this structural change, they haven't put forward any structural solution either. So positions are are basically entrenched now and I think uh, if I can bet they will be entrenched for a while unless things change quite a lot yeah just a quick uh, a quick uh, mention to what happened to the after the 27th of October so basically that very same afternoon Spain um, took over Catalonia's self-rule and that very same weekend that this happened we already began to see different strategies between the independent mainstream parties. President at the time, Carlos Puigdemont, he went on exile along with some of his ministers, while the other uh, half of the government, mm -hmm. including the vice president, uh, Uriel Junqueras at the time, of the other party, once was Junts, and the other, ones, the other one was Esquerra, uh, state in in Catalonia and in space in Spain in order to face this trial so from that very same moment something broke There is something that hasn't changed, which is that an important portion of the Catalans still today favor a change in the territorial status quo. So if we count pro-independent supporter plus those that favor a federal solution, we will be talking about 60%, 70% of the Catalan population. Pro-independent supporters are around uh, 40%, depending on the on the survey. Okay, hold, hold that thought. Uh, we'll touch on that later. Uh, but let's take a break now and listen from all parties uh, pro-independence and unionist on their take of the boat five years on. Here's Killian with another report. There are currently eight different parties in the Catalan Parliament, some in favour of independence, Esquerra, Junts and Coup, some against the Socialist People's Party, Vox and Ciudadanos, and one not aligning itself with either side, En Comú Podem. To each, the 2017 independence referendum meant a different thing, and each takes its own conclusion on what position Catalonia now finds itself in five years later. Esquerra's party president, Oriol Junqueras, who spent years in prison for organizing the referendum when he was Catalonia's vice president, believes the independence movement is now stronger than ever, partly thanks to the fact that he and other former officials were sent to jail, something that the international community was able to see. Significant, as he says, independence can only be achieved with international recognition. Esquerra are in favour of negotiating with Spain to convince them to agree to a referendum, a point of view that Junts per Catalunya, the other main pro-independence party, does not share. As their party co-president Laura Borras says... Now we have to learn from all the mistakes. The biggest one is to trust the Spanish state. This differing viewpoint on how to pursue independence is key to understanding the crisis that's engulfing the two mainstream pro-independence parties at the moment. 
As Borras explains. The Catalan referendum on the 1st October was uh, legal, was signed by a, by a president of the uh, Generalitat. We want to build from that on. Basha Change of far-left pro-independence party COUP acknowledges that many lessons can be drawn from 2017. When we uh, fight for the power to uh, a state like Spain, we must uh, know uh, how to maintain this power the day afterwards, and uh, we did uh, not uh, that at all. On the unionist side, Esther Nubo of the Socialists, who are now in government in Spain, says now is the time to reach agreements. We understand that there is people that went to vote for independence that has feel cheated or even frustrated for that situation because anything that their government said that would happen has happened indeed. So we think that it's the moment to reach agreements, not to divide again. Alejandro Fernández of the People's Party, who were in power in Spain at the time of the referendum, said during the general policy debate that Catalan President Pere Aragonés's Quebec-style Clarity Act proposal means that the 2017 referendum mandate is now over and done with, and he criticised that pro-independence parties are playing with the dreams of Catalans who want independence. Ana Grau of Ciudadanos compared the referendum with an act of violence by its organisers. The Catalan government uh, has tried to violate, to hurt more than half of Catalan people. We, well, just, we are not for the independence, we are not for living in Spain, we don't hate Spain, and we are Catalan too. Far-right Vox's Alberto Terradas struck a similar tone. This was a coup d'etat against uh, the Spanish government, against the Catalan people and against uh, the rule of law. Vox was not in this parliament, but uh, Vox was fighting in the streets, fighting also in the courts. Lastly, En Comú Podem, the only party in favour of a referendum but not aligned on the independence question, back dialogue to find solutions to the political conflict. As Marc Pérez explains... For us, October the 1st was a huge mobilization. We supported that referendum. It was not a mistake at all, but the mistake was the creation of false expectations for that population. We have to find also solutions that go beyond this yes or no to independence. Thanks to everyone that spoke with us. So the pro-independence camp used the referendums in Scotland and Quebec to justify holding a similar vote in Catalonia. Even Catalan President Pere Agragonés has placed this week both examples when he presented his proposal to vote again. He proposed the so-called Clarity Act to replace the October 1st referendum, a proposal that was also quickly rejected by the Spanish government. Could you explain what this is, uh, the Clarity Act? The Clarity Act was a law passed by the Canadian Parliament after the 1980 referendum and the 1995 independence referendums to establish the conditions under which uh, the results of, the, of a future Quebec referendum would be accepted by both sides. Uh, paradoxically, though, it's being used now in Catalonia to uh, force or accelerate the conditions for a referendum. So in Quebec, this happened uh, after the two referendums. In Catalonia, this is being used to establish the conditions for a future eventual referendum 
referendum and this is a strategic decision by the Catalan president to try to assemble a significant majority of Catalans while also showing to the international community that uh, they are putting forward proposals to the Spanish government to find a solution to the political crisis. However, the fact that the Spanish government reacted so quickly, denying that this was going to go ahead, is not very promising and it's in line with previous responses. Thank you, Danny. I understand a bit better now. How does the Catalan 2017 vote and the whole push for independence here compares to the Scottish and the uh, Flemish campaigns? Well, they are completely different. So in, in Scotland, we had a negotiated referendum, the Edinburgh Agreement of November 2012. They agreed on the question. There was an electoral commission. We had an official campaign in which the unionists took part. And we had a debate that at times seemed boring. There was nothing around Braveheart at all. It was all about the pensions. It was about will we have the pound or the euro if we become independent? Will we be in the European Union or not? So it was a very rational debate about what, what, what was best for Scots in that circumstance. In Flanders, it's a completely different story because support for independence is very low. It's around 15-20% depending on, on the opinion poll and the way the question is asked. And the main Flemish party doesn't support independence right now, supports confederalism. Okay, so time to talk about numbers. Tony, what did the latest polls on independent support tell us? And what can we expect in the future? Public opinion changes a lot, uh, especially in the long run. So it's actually difficult to predict what's going to happen in, in 10 years in terms of the, the independent support. In terms of like what has happened since 2017, we observe a slight decrease in support for independence. Uh, it seems that there is a combination of two things. First, people still being... Some people still being pro-independence by realizing that in the short run it's actually not possible, so they switch their position mm -hmm. towards another another option. And then a, a, a tiny minority, but still there, detected in the polls, some people that uh, gave up, let's say, and decided not to be, uh, uh, that they are not pro-independence uh, anymore. And um, what about demographics and age groups? Have they changed? Well, that's a huge question. Uh, some people say that we've observed a slight decrease in pro-independent support among the young cohort, so mm -hmm. those that enter into voting age, which in Catalonia is 18 years old uh, now, but it's not clear yet. Can there be a viable path for another independence uh, referendum? Uh, if we focus on the deadlock that we currently have, one important element is party politics and the fact that in Catalonia we have two parties, two pro-independence parties of roughly the same size who disagree on strategy and disagree on leadership. So one thing that could help internally would be for one of these two parties to become clearly dominant within the pro-independence camp so that the party's strategy and leadership clearly dominates over the other alternatives. And that at least would give a sense of cohesion and a direction and a sense of purpose to the whole movement as a whole, accepting, of course, that there will always be disagreements. But the fact that we continue to have for many, many years two parties of roughly the same size without one taking over the other is affecting this uh, lack of clear roadmap for the future years. In fact, I think we can say that none of the pro-independence parties at the moment, if I'm not wrong, uh, 
are in favor of doing exactly the same. You know, uh, the, the the senior coalition partner, Esquerra, the one that has the presidency of uh, the government, uh, wants an agreed referendum with Spain, so something completely different to the October the 1st referendum, while the other mainstream independence party, Junts, uh, says that the 2017 referendum is a valid referendum and this needs to take to be taken into account. So no point in doing exactly the same again. Yeah, we'll have to see. And before we finish, Kifre, what Catalan phrase do you have for us this week? Uh, this week we'll say a shava misa. A shava misa. Yeah, this goes to mass. Basically, what it means is uh, that this is final. This is going to be the final decision or this final thing. The final thing. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Tani. And thank you, Gifre. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next Saturday with another episode of Feeling the Sync. Until then, from me, Alejandra Angula Alonso, and all of us here at Catalan News. Bye for now. Adeu. <laughs>